You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 93 called 10 Questions Teachers Want Answered Before School Starts. As the school year gets going, the questions and concerns start rolling in here at Got Tech. And in this episode, we'll share 10 of the best ones we've heard over the past couple of weeks. And of course, we're going to give some of our advice and some ed tech tools in response. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. So we're creeping up on 100 and we're also creeping up on the new school year. So over the last couple of weeks, uh, Nick and I have been doing a lot of virtual professional development with uh, teachers from our district and some uh, professional developments with teachers outside of our district. And we always ask for the questions that they want answered. And today we're going to kind of go up and over uh, all the questions that we've kind of collected over the past six weeks. So I'm pretty excited about this episode because a lot of these questions go above and beyond what we normally get. Uh, As tech coaches, typically we get asked how to use a tool, how to implement a tool into the classroom. And today it's really a a scramble of questions here. It's not just ed tech questions, but, you know, some that might be uh, secondary ed tech questions, meaning that the initial question needs answered, and then we could back it up with the use of ed tech tools. So Nick, what's going on your way before we get into the episode? What have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Um, I mean, you know, just kind of doing the standard week before, two weeks before school starts, you kind of actually at least for me, that's when it really seems real. And I can actually start thinking about what am I going to what am I going to need those first couple days, I've been doing a lot of rethinking how I'm going to run that first day of school or that first two days of school. Um, For me, it's always been very traditional. We teach at higher levels, high school, mostly uh, upper level uh, high school as well. So juniors and seniors, I've kept it pretty bare bones in the past, but I'd like to change it up and kind of hit the ground running this year with something different and fun to kind of keep the kids, uh, make the class seem as fun as possible and start off on a, I don't know if a happier foot is the right word, but definitely in a, in a more engaging way. And I haven't come to any decisions yet. I'm still trying to decide between playing a game on the first day or do some type of like uh like an interests inventory kind of thing. I don't know. Do you have a preference for like day one? Do you go game as the game-based guy here? Well, I typically go game, but I think one thing that the pandemic teaching has taught me is that we need to keep that whole relationship piece. So whatever is going to allow you to dive deeper in your student interests and also make connections with your students, I think that's most important from the get-go. Yeah, and I don't want to get too much into it because actually one of our one of the questions that we've gotten uh, recently that we'll talk about in the main part of the episode, we'll, we'll touch on that first day of school. So we'll, we'll get deeper into it, but uh, that's been me, man. What about you? What's the biggest thing that you've been working on and prepping or, or getting ready? To be honest, I haven't done much of anything other than <laughs> sell a house, buy a house, and all the stuff that goes with that. So I, I have never realized how many places we have to change our address, for example. Uh, there's a lot going on there. And it, because we're changing our address and we have to, if we have any flights coming up, which I do, but I kind of think it will probably get canceled or postponed. 
you know, we need to make sure our right address is on our our tickets as well. So I've just been doing a lot of that. But this week, I finally got back into it. You and I are starting to prep for our World Ready Technology course that we're co-teaching this year uh, alongside of our colleague, uh, Jeff Loesch, who's been a former guest. I'm really excited about that and uh, getting that on, on its way. So this year, we will be continuing our our student-ran podcasting. So they pretty much take care of everything. We're just there to help out if they need it. And we have this network called the Hopewell Valley Student Podcasting Network, uh, which is a part of the Hopewell Valley Publications Network. Either way, same letters. Go over to www.hvspn.com. And you'll be able to check out our students' work and what they've been up to, whether it's a blog, blog, podcast, YouTube channel, whatever it may be, it will be housed on there. Yeah, so you guys can look forward to a lot more on that, the HVSPN. Uh, you can definitely look forward to us talking about uh, world-ready technology as, as we sort of figure out what that's going to be, because I think that's a pretty cool thing. And a lot of uh, the people who listen to this show are going to be into that. I also think that should wrap it up for segment one here. You can follow Got Tech outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTech. So let's get started with uh, the meat of the episode. The reason you guys are listening, the the questions that teachers want answered. Hopefully, as we go through these, they're questions that even if you haven't thought of them yet, uh, you'll appreciate hearing the answers to. And that's why we've selected these things. So these are our top 10. Some of them came in through our capacity as tech coaches from teachers in our district. Some of these have come in as podcasters, just stuff that people share with us on social media or or email. You can you guys can do that too if you didn't know. We love that kind of stuff. And we'll save it and maybe it'll sh- pop up in a later episode. And we're just gonna we're just gonna go through these things and, and I'll kick it off if you don't mind with the first one, which is maybe also the most unique one. This is from a semi-local teacher who says that I have a cooperating teacher this year to help monitor COVID protocols. How can I involve them in the learning process. So I'm pretty sure what this means is that a couple local school districts, and this is in the younger grades, I believe, actually have a second teacher in the room with the main teacher to literally just help manage COVID protocols, such as, hey guys, you need to keep your masks on, or you three are too close together, got to separate out for this activity, that type of thing. I guess the concern was that this is a lot for teachers to manage and they've they've given those teachers some help, but this person wants you know wants to know what can that other teacher do besides just sitting back there and, and making sure that kids are staying safe. So I'll kick it off with sort of like a general thing that I thought of, and that is, you know, anytime I'm doing something like this with a, a colleague, and and you and I work this way a lot too, you got to assign roles so that everybody knows who's doing what, and of course. It doesn't have to be super rigid and you can work together and kind of flow in and out of those roles, but at least as a starting point. So immediately I thought that if I was in this situation, I would like to sort of have one person in charge of maybe the lesson planning and prep um, classroom management type stuff uh, while the lesson is taking place. And then the other person can sort of be more like the the feedback follow-up grading. I don't like to call it grading, but maybe some of it will be actual grading type person. And you can sort of delineate those roles that way. And this might actually be a really helpful thing to sort of split up the duties that just one person would traditionally have. Uh, I know, you know, we talk about Moat all the time, but another new tool on our radar 
is this thing called Floop. Uh, Floop is like a really great collaborative feedback tool where kids get uh, feedback almost instantaneously on work they're doing. So while they're doing it, you can start commenting on, on what's happening. Uh, so both of those struck me as something that would be really great feedback tools for two teachers to work on at once. You know, Moat, obviously, because it's in the Google platform. So whatever one person is doing, the other person can see as well. Um, and then Classroom Q is, is just an awesome way to help keep track of what students need that extra support and even something that both teachers could keep track of. If you don't know Classroom Q, it's that digital hand raise tool from our buddy Kyle Nemus that we bring up uh, from time to time where kids just hit a button instead of raising their hand. And then you don't have to worry about, you know, forgetting about them or them putting that hand down and losing track. So those are just some ideas I had for that situation. What do you think about that one? I don't know. This one just does not make sense to me because if they're going to hire a cooperating teacher to manage COVID protocols and to help monitor that, why don't they just hire them to teach a half of the class? You know, split it up, make smaller class sizes, make people be able to spread spread apart. I mean, there has to be something more to this article, but I don't know. I, I, think, I think there's a better, I don't know, way to spend district money than to have a teacher in the classroom just to to be the covid police I, I i just don't understand it a lot of teachers already do a lot of things like they'll put stickers on the seats that students are able to sit in versus uh you know we put x's on the desk that students should not sit in just so we know that they are properly socially distanced uh, things like that so I think the tools that you threw out there, I think they're awesome for the purpose in which you described. I would, I would second all those tools. Uh, I think they're, they're phenomenal, but uh, I just think that there's more to this question that it, that is actually going to be asked. So I'm just going to play the cranky old guy in the corner, just uh, kind of throwing out all, all sorts of shade to this question. Cause I need more information. So whoever asked that question, Love it. It's a great question. I just think that we need a little bit more substance to it so we can accurately get, you know, something across there. Let's go into our second one. My district still hasn't announced if we're hybrid or in-person only. How should I prepare to teach my students? And this question, I know the person that asked this question, and uh, their their district is going back and forth. Originally, everyone was supposed to be in-person. But now that statistics are uh, coming out, suggesting that maybe that's not the safest, uh, it's still up in the air and they're waiting for that final emergency school board meeting to make a decision on how they're going to teach. So the simple answer here, and I'm not sure if it's simple or just the most logical answer here, is to design lessons that can work in both areas. For example here, if you look at Jamboard, Students can do a Jamboard in class and they could also do it virtually. So I would use those types of edtech tools like whiteboard.fi. I think that's another great one that would allow them to do it. Google Slides is also a third. You could do digital gallery walks or virtual gallery walks, or you could do a, a gallery walk in person. So design lessons, design activities that could be done in person or virtually, and it's not gonna uh, cost you any more or less time. 
I would also recommend um, recording some of your lessons ahead of time. You can use a really simple tool like Screencastify. Don't you know? Don't add all the bells and whistles and fancy editing. Just get it down there on on the on the not the page in the video. Whatever presentation tool you typically use, just just pop that up there on your computer screen and do a screencast. I bet if you sat down for an hour and only did the sort of the tutorial or the, or the lecture part of the lesson, the information for the students and got that into these recordings, you could get through a lot in a pretty short amount of time. Those things are now available for students, whether they're hybrid, in-person, fully remote, or maybe, you know, everybody else is in person, but some parents I know are pulling kids out of school for safety reasons. Now, even those students don't even have to be present. They've at least got a means to access the information directly provided by their teacher, by you. So that's another sort of fan favorite for me uh, when it comes to sort of not knowing what your environment is going to be. So that's, that's a great question. I'm glad we got to share it. And I'll jump into the third one now. Uh, this person says, this is sort of in line with my question earlier. What is a good opening day activity that works in person or remotely or hybrid? So obviously, like like I already mentioned and like guys shared, uh, there's kind of two things we're going for here, guys, uh, at least in, in our perspective. And that is getting to know your students, number one, and then having some fun, like playing a game, number two. How would you guys recommend going about sort of doing these two things over the course of that first day or that first two days, maybe? So I'll throw out two different things here. I mean, play a game. I love games. I would probably lean towards this one, but I I think I just thought of one on the fly, uh, another activity that would be also pretty cool. So the game, the first day we're at school, we have every uh, class for a total of like 15 minutes. I mean, it's very very short. It's just enough time to hand out uh, a syllabus or anything like that. And that's about it. So I think that first day I would ask them, I would ask the students to write down two or three things that, uh, in, that they have an interest in. And then the next day, what I would do is I would write, I would devise some game based on that index card that they filled out. I know I don't like index cards, fill out your name, who are your parents, blah, blah, blah. I just want their name and three things that keep or that drive them, you know, three things that interest them. I would take those interests and I would turn it into a game. Maybe it's a guessing game where students try to guess, uh, you know, who might have wrote these three things down, something like that. All right. But the other one that I really, really dig, and I just thought of this right now as you read the question, uh, my son is really into dream catchers right now. He's making his own. Uh, we take a little piece of, uh, I don't know, it's like this rubber tubing, and we tie it in a circle. Uh, inside, the rubber tubing is, it's hard to, it's not just floppy rubbery tubing. It kind of will stay. It's its circular shape if we tape it that way. And then he takes a whole bunch of yarn. So what we did is we took some uh, little uh, note cards. We cut them in half, and then we put a single hole punch in it. And as he was weaving his yarn into the circle, every once in a while, he would throw that little hole punch note card in there with something written on it. For his dream catcher, he's putting in chores that he could do to get money. And as he does them, he's going to pull them off. And when he, when he has them all pulled off, he'll have enough money for a toy that he really wants. 
he came up with it. I said, yeah, go for it. That's cool. But what if we did that? What if we made some type of a dream catcher? It could even just be a worksheet that has a box in the middle with their name. And then there's seven or eight boxes surrounding that. And those are the students' interests. Okay. And then the next day in class, everyone gets posted those little tiny post-its. And if they share a same interest, they put their name on the post-it and put it onto that person's dream catcher sheet. And that way, you know, students are starting to learn about common interests between other students. And I would participate as the teacher as well. I think that's a pretty cool way of kind of building those relationships and, and making connections between our classes and, and also students and the teacher making connections. That's a great idea. That's, that's where you shine, uh, Mr. Geist, is just coming up with these crazy creative things on the fly. We've never talked about that before, but what a cool one. I was thinking you could even digitize that. You could make like a digital, maybe Google Slides or Jamboard version of a dream catcher and run that digitally with little, you know, digital sticky notes that you could sort of move around. So there's lots to play around with there. Uh, awesome idea. And hopefully that helps that person out and some other people as well. Our fourth question, uh, sort of going along the same lines of, of maybe gamifying your classroom. This person says Kahoot is awesome. Yes, it is. I'd agree with that. Uh, but what are other ways to gamify that classroom? Um, and of course, there's lots of them. Kahoot's sort of the classic, at least in our school. That's the one where everybody got started. Uh, but now there's this whole other world sort of blowing up. And we've got a bunch of these in line. I'll go through the first three of them that we thought of just off the top of our heads here. GimKit is another great one. Still been around for a while. I still think it flies under the radar, though, for a lot of people. And it's really, really fun. Uh, Bamboozle is another one. That's Bamboozle with two A's. Another great gaming tool. And my favorite is uh, Blookit, actually pronounced Blookit. I just don't like to say it that way. But this is really fun. The games there are, are you know, your kids are going to get rowdy because a lot of the times there's, you know, you're collecting coins in the game and you can steal other people's coins and it just gets everybody super excited. Uh, so those are three. I'll do a little shameless plug here too. I don't want to, we don't want to do too much of this, but uh, Bamboozle, you can actually uh, get an extended trial for free if you head to one of our companion sites called myentechbundle.com. If you go there, you'll see Bamboozle listed and you can just try it out for like a super, super, uh, super minimized price and, and, and see if it's something you like. Uh, but that's just one way to get access to some of these tools. What, what else do we have here maybe for gamifying your classroom outside of Kahoot? Yeah, so not all of our students are game players in the traditional sense, such as GimKit, BlueKit, Bamboozle, Kahoot. All right, some students just don't like to be competitive with other students. So what I find is narrative is another way to gamify the classroom, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're competing against other students. All right, so one of the things that I know I like doing, because I'm a nerd, and that's I'm proud of that, uh, is looking at graphs. Uh, so I know that probably sound like grass, but I'm saying <laughs> graphs, graphs, uh, like data charts and things like that and telling a narrative about it. And students get very clever in doing this. What they're trying to do is they're, they're, they look at the graph and they try to tell a story. 
and they get very clever and creative with the story. And I think that's an awesome way of getting people, getting students familiar with graphs and what data is trying to be represented. Uh, the next one is Puzzle Friday. It could be Puzzle Tuesday, Puzzle Monday, whatever you want. And that's finding ways to work content into puzzles. So a lot of us um, have begun making escape the rooms, whether they're digital, whether they're in person, whether it's a hybrid of the two. Well, you could easily just take one of the puzzles from an escape the room. And if you don't know what the escape rooms are, go back to one of our previous episodes. We we did a whole episode on escape rooms. Uh, but basically, they have a certain amount of time to solve five, five or six puzzles and get out of a room. Uh, but if you simplify that activity into one puzzle every week, it's not as daunting for the teacher because they take maybe 15, 20 minutes to make a, a puzzle uh, and the students really enjoy them. The last thing I like to do is have a classroom theme I know, Nick, you do, uh, what is the one that you do? Amazing Race in your classroom? Yep, yeah, Amazing Race, super fun. For all you people out there who like Survivor, I like to bring Survivor in. So I have different ways for them to get what I call progress cards. And uh, progress cards will basically give them advantages in in future assignments and things like that. The advantages don't need to be uh, extremely rewarding. Like it could just be, Hey, you get a free wrong answer. So if they get something wrong, they have to correct it. And then there's no punishment for that or no, you know, taking off of a point or whatever for that. But in order to get those progress cards, they have to do things like to get a progress card. It takes them 10 points. How do you earn a point? Well, you get an A on a test, or you show me that you did a good deed in class, or you helped somebody out, or maybe it's something that was done outside of school that I heard about, you know, something positive. You volunteered for the soup kitchen or something like that. So those are all um, ways that I kind of bring uh, a theme into the classroom and, and kind of make it fun. Yeah, I love the idea of a classroom theme. That's maybe the... Uh the biggest takeaway there for that one. Um, and I'll jump into the next question with that. It's uh, number five is a school. My school is going remote for the first two weeks. So this is not from our school because we are not doing this, at least not that I know about yet. Um, my school is going remote for the first two weeks. What is the best flipped classroom model for this? Um, so yeah, flipped classroom is probably the way to go. Um, and there's lots of ways you can, you can run that. Um, obviously, the flipped classroom part of it, just in terms of the content part, runs itself if you're remote, right? Because that's the whole point is kids are viewing content while at home. Well, if you're remote, everybody's home. So that whatever your videos are or articles or online texts, maybe all three of those options. And I think that's maybe the first thing I would suggest is go with options, especially in that remote environment, because you don't always have the best access to find out what students need. So give them as much as you possibly can. And, the, and options for viewing content is maybe the first thing I would recommend for this in terms of that flipped classroom. The other thing I would want to make sure I was doing if I was fully remote here, and this is just in my experience of being fully remote for a little bit last year, 
um, is making sure the students are talking to each other. I know I did a lot of Zoom breakout rooms, but I've also dropped in on a lot of Zoom breakout rooms. And those kids, a lot of the time, they're not talking. It's just a silent room. Both of their sort of cameras are black and they're just working separately or for all I know, not working at all. You can get them going once you're in there, but that seems to be a pretty common occurrence. So a tool that lets them or almost forces them to interact with each other, uh, like Edgy is the first one I thought of, E-D-J-I. If you haven't heard us talk about Edgy, uh, it's just like a digital discussion board where you can post an image or text and the students comment on that text and you can monitor which students have said what. So it's sort of a, a, a way to make sure that at least they're engaging with each other in some way. And it might actually make a Zoom-based or a Google Meet-based discussion run a little bit smoother once you get everybody back together uh, after the content has been viewed. So that's how I would sort of go about the running a flipped classroom. And we, we could do a whole episode really just on that. What do you, what do you think about this? I think uh, having students be content creators is a great way to run the first two weeks. It, it forces them to really work with partners and also it forces them to work through an uncomfortable situation. Not a lot of students know that they could be great content creators until they give it a shot and then they buy into it and they really like it. So my thing would be find a way to get them the information, learn the information and then create something based on that content. So let's keep moving here and I'll go into number six. I'm still nervous about attending conferences in person. What's your favorite place for virtual PD right now? I, I can't stress this enough. And I really wish that school districts would get on board and count podcasts, listening to podcasts as a form of professional development. And I know that there are schools out there that do this, but I think it would help everybody because we have time to really help teachers clear some things off of their plate. And professional development is great and in person, but it takes time. So what is a way that we could give teachers time just to go try some things? Well, if you conform PD into podcasting, they can listen to that while they do the dishes, while they make dinner, while they're driving to and from school. Uh, while they're doing any type of a chore or maybe when they're exercising. So if we can allow teachers to multitask in certain facets of their life, that's going to give them more time on the other end. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie here. I won't beat around the bush. I listen to podcasts, especially educational podcasts, way more than I probably should. And I will tell you that there are podcasts out there that I get so many takeaways uh, that it's more valuable to me than some in-person professional developments. Not all, but some. So, Nick, I know that you and I talked about this last June, and we created a blog article. I think it was called 30 Plus Educational Podcasts That Will Help You Become a Better Teacher. And that is on our website at gottech.com slash edupodcast, so edupodcast. And you should go check that out. And I started really originally with 20, and then you helped me build it up to 30. And now we're just keeping this thing going. I just listened to a couple new podcasts uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, one I revisited, and that's Teacher Nerds with uh, 
um, the host at Joe Surfer and at Nober underscore tech class. That's N-O-B-E-R underscore tech class. And I listened to a guest that they had on, Miss uh, Jennifer Lieben, who we had on our show. But I, I know she got a new job since the last time we talked with her. So I wanted to see what was going on there. And that was a fantastic episode. So definitely go check that one out. That will be getting added to the list. Another new one that I listened to is called The Adventures in Online Education with host at AOE Natalie. Uh, these will all be in the show notes, but I'm going to add that one as well. Uh, I, I just began that one this morning. I'm going to finish that one on my ride home, and I look forward to adding that to the list. And the last one is hashtag EduCrushPodcast with host at NataBaso, which is N-A-T-A-B-A-S-S-O. So those will be making the list, and I'm going to update that blog list uh, within the next week or so. But it's a fantastic way to grow and learn as an educator. Yeah, I don't even need to add anything to that. I mean, check the check out this blog uh, article that mostly Eric wrote and put out there. It's really great for all this these lists of uh, podcasts, and then those those three that you listed are, are perfect. So we'll leave it there and get into number seven, which says this is probably my favorite question. Uh, I want to record my lessons for students that may be absent for extended periods of time. What is the best way to do this? I love this question because I think this is something that COVID forced me to do, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay dividends as my career goes on, and that is that I now have an entire body, an entire course on video that just can sit there and be used for students to access, whether they're with me or at home or anywhere, literally. So, so I love this, and I've got some options that I put together. I'm curious which of these you think is probably the best way to go. So let, let me know what you think. Uh, number one, if you want to limit your work, just you could use a webcam. Chances are your school has them after last year. And, you know, when we were all deep in COVID and teaching hybrid, chances are there's some webcams floating around. If you don't think there are, check in with your tech person or your media center. They might have one. And then just as you're in class, you can just record it. it you know, record yourself or if you're not comfortable, record your voice. And there it is, done. You still teach as normal, but now you've got the digital version. If you don't like that, and this is sort of what I had been doing, a second option is to use a very quick and easy screencasting tool. Obviously, I'm going to mention Screencastify here uh, to just do a very fast version of that lesson via screencast. So no bells, no whistles, no editing. Just sit down with whatever document, presentation, website, whatever it is, uh, that that lesson or you would use for that lesson in class and just record a quick screencast uh, going over that stuff. Chances are it's going to go much, much faster uh, than it does in class anyway because it's just you talking about it. You don't have to worry about addressing questions or anything else. Sit down for a couple hours. I bet you could go through a whole bunch of these, get them done, get them in a Google Drive or somewhere that gives students access. That's probably my favorite uh, we recently talked about another option here for tutorials. If you want kids to see your handwriting, science and math teachers, I think this is going to appeal to most. But explain everything. Awesome tool for this. Uh, it's like a digital whiteboard where you write on. You can also bring in pictures and videos there too. But mostly it's a, that whiteboard where you can write and record and essentially screencast it as you go. So check out Explain Everything. 
And then, you know, our, our favorite in the background here that we use for stuff, Screencast-O-Matic, if you really want to get into some more intense editing and make quality videos, quality screencasts, maybe you've got a YouTube page where you're going to put these things, but that's a little more time consuming. So those are the four things that I thought of. What would be, it doesn't have to be one of those four, but uh, what's your favorite sort of way to go about what this person is asking? So I really have thought about this in my in reflecting in my own practice last year. And I kept recording everything by lesson. And I really wish I wouldn't have done that. And I'll tell you the reason. Your curriculum, the way that you teach, changes all the time. But it's very rare that the content changes. Right? Even if it the, the content does uh, change. For example, when I first started teaching biology at at Hopewell, we taught about the, the different types of systems. We no longer teach systems in bio. It's not part of the curriculum. I think it went over to health and wellness uh, curriculum. But we used to teach that. So I have a whole bunch of resources that I created that has all that stuff in it, and it's now obsolete. So I would encourage everyone, instead of teaching by less or making these videos by lesson, make these videos by topic, all right? So photosynthesis is one topic and you could teach photosynthesis in about three minutes just to get a general understanding, probably less than that. So what I would do is come up with all these individual topics that you have and just record each topic in under three minutes. Keep that whole playlist and if someone's absent, you could say, hey, we looked at topic one, five, and 15, all right? That way in three years, when the content does change, you just take those out. Maybe you add different ones in, in the place, but you're not losing most of your content. And then on top of that, at the end of each chapter, you can assign students different topics within that chapter and tell them that they have to make a, a three minute video on how these three topics are connected. So, one, you're teaching your students the topics, or it's there for them to learn. And then they're going to use that resource as, uh, you know, kind of the baseline on how to make connections between these topics within the chapter. And I think that's really how I'm going to go from here on out is just making short little two, three minute videos on a simple topic and just, uh, let everyone know that's what we did that day by giving them a number that's on a whole playlist of these these topics. That's great advice. I'd made the same mistake. I have a series of videos that are titled 2.1, 2.2, 2.3, 2.4, and it's uh, all basically useless now, at least in terms of the the title and how I introduce them because I'm not necessarily doing things in that order or not even necessarily in unit two or chapter two, whatever it is. And I wish that from the get-go I had gone back and sort of made those, you know, instead of 2.1, I could have called it the nucleus. And you can plug that lesson in anywhere it needs to go as time goes on. So a strong tip. Glad you thought of it. Uh, the next question is, is always a tough one. How can I build relationships with students if they're learning from home? I, I don't know, man. This is a, a really hard thing. The one I can say the one thing I thought of for the this past school year that I didn't do and I wish I did do for a handful of students is some kind of weekly check-in to just kind of like force 
students into communicating with you one-on-one. -on -one. Um, there's a few students I'd never did that with, and I and I I think they suffered because I don't know if they felt comfortable enough to reach out when they needed help. That's the main thing is I want all my students to know that they can get a hold of me, even if it's virtually uh, for assistance. And I think that weekly check-in might help facilitate it. So Zoom, if your school if, if your school is still supporting that, hop into a, a, a or stay in Zoom. Hop into a Zoom meeting. Uh, Google Meet is maybe more likely at this point if you still are using the Google for Education platform. But uh, I don't know. It's a hard, a hard thing to do for sure. Yeah, when I was in my Zoom meetings, if I had six groups, I would always make a seventh group, and that would be my group. And I would slowly pull students into my group and just have a chat with them, see how they're doing, make sure they understand the content, see how they're doing at home, if they need anything from me. That was one of my big questions. What can I do for you? So those are all all great things there. And I think that's a great way to reach those virtual students. So ninth question, I'm a first year teacher and feeling overwhelmed with the technology available. What are some of the best tools I should focus on? So I will tell you this, if you're ever feeling overwhelmed with your job or with any part of education, I would just keep it simple. Work with Google. If you're a Google for Education school, work with slides. Stay in slides. Find creative ways to use slides. Find creative ways to use sheets. Those types of things. Don't try to learn something new then. That is not the time. Wait till summer. Wait for winter break. Wait for when things get less chaotic. Those are all my, my suggestions there. Uh, going with that, uh, Slides Mania is pretty awesome. Uh, Slides Mania has all these different templates, uh, whether it's PowerPoint or Google, uh, Google Slides that you can use for free. Uh, They're amazing. Let Paula from Slides Mania, shout out to Paula, she's amazing. Let her do the work for you. And you just thank her later, buy her a cup of coffee or give her a shout out on Twitter. Uh, Cause you could go there and find anything you want, whether it's a presentation, a digital notebook, uh, some type of gamification presentation, uh, a whole bunch of different stuff. So I would just say, keep it simple and uh, use what you know and just find creative ways to use the tools that you know. Yeah, great tips. I mean, for this teacher and any other, let's just say any first year teacher, Slides Mania, I think should be like the the thing that you're paying attention to because they just have so much in terms of just presentations, but games and everything else. Um, I'm going to throw also throw out Canva for education. Um, you know, people think of Canva mostly as that, you know, designing graphics in Canva for education will let you do that for sure. But um, man, they just so much more in terms of, you know, worksheets. If you need some some on the fly worksheets, you didn't have time to prep. They've got them. And I mean, like worksheets with questions filled out, ready to go in math and English and whatever else it is, uh, as well as for free. You can actually have students create accounts or seats in a class and work in there and submit stuff to you in Canva. Uh, so I think that opens the door to lots of projects that almost design themselves and that you don't have to worry about a whole bunch of prep prep on. So that's a great list for the new teachers for sure. And in a good segue into our final question of the episode, number 10, uh, this person says, new year, new focus. 
what is your focus this year and what ed tech tools are you most excited about? So I'll begin this by saying, check out our last episode because we kind of did that. Uh, we did a whole episode on that where we shared 20 really great tools. A lot of them are different and new and not this, uh, are the ones that we like best and tend to mention all the time. But some of those 20 are, are I think are going to be part of the ones we mention all the time because they're that great. So that's going to be episode 92, I think. That's our last one. Um, and then from that list, I'm going to pull one out, actually. Uh, it's called Slip In Slide. Slip In Slide, it's a... You know, it's a one-time purchase, so you do have to pay for it, but it's it's pretty cheap, and you pay once, and then it's yours. And it's a it does an interesting thing, and I'm I think I'm going to play around with it um, because it's that intriguing to me. And I believe there's going to be lots of uses where once I figure it out, I'm going to use it for many different things. A slip and slide allows me to push additional slides out to my students, so a whole class, sort of instantaneously. So if I push them maybe three slides in a Google slide deck, slip and slide, I can then send everybody at a moment's notice three more, and then later send them three more, and then later send them five more. Uh, this appeals to me as a way to sort of facilitate lessons where students are working independently, and I don't want to give them, here's a hundred page slide deck. Uh, I can sort of push those out in, in chunks and in pieces you know, my initial thought is just so they don't get overwhelmed, but I think there's a lot more to this. And I wish I could say what that is. I just don't know yet. But when I figure it out, I'm definitely going to share it with everybody because it sounds like a really neat tool to try. So slip and slide. That's what I'm going to be working on. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, I will tell you, my focus for this year is just student content creation, period. So any tool that's going to allow them to be content creators or assist them in being content creators is something I'm looking at. Of episode 92, I will tell you the tool that I use the most over the last week is IRAD. I made these tutorials uh, using the IRAD extension, and these tutorials will be given out to teachers. And also, we can hand these out to students because the tutorials that I made was how to make a Google site and 10, 10 things I wanted to point out about Google Sheets. I'm really making an effort at becoming better at Google Sheets, because I think out of all the uh, Google for Education apps, that is probably my weakest one. So I'm really making a push to become a little bit better in that area. Awesome. So those are our, our 10 questions. I think there's a lot there for everybody. Even if you felt like you didn't have any questions, certainly some of these gave you some info and some things to think about, which wraps up episode 93. want to, as always, encourage everybody to do us some favors. If you don't mind, that would be, of course, subscribing to Got Tech, the podcast. Uh, however you listen, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, our stuff is up on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter, all of these places, even Facebook. Um, even better, do that Apple podcast review. I've noticed we're getting more and more reviews recently, so hopefully this is paying off. Uh, that helps us a ton. Um, so make sure you do that. And my favorite one is as always, telling your friends about Got Tech. If you've got colleagues and they don't know that educational podcasts are out there, tell them about it. And if you like us, tell them about us. And you can head to gottech.com to find all this stuff. Thanks for listening, everybody. 
Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geis and I individually at Geis Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.